It is good for me to be here with you today. As your order of service tells you, my name is Tom Ward. Uh, what the order of service doesn't say, but your parish uh, public relations team have been holding forth is that your rector invited me here to lead a day of centering, a centering prayer workshop yesterday. There were about 25 of us down in the Undercroft um, on a beautiful day, and we uh, learned the discipline of centering prayer. Luis and I go way back, about 40 years, to the University of the South, uh, which he and I both attended, and to Virginia Seminary, which he and I both attended. A little in different classes, but basically at the same time. And this is not the first trip I've had here. This is, I think, my third or fourth time to be with you. And again, it's good to be here. When Luis invited me, I said, why are you having me back? You know, you've, uh, you've heard all I've got to say. Uh, not only have you heard it, but many people in your congregation have heard it. And Luis said, I need a refresher. <laughs> uh, Luis and I, in our conversation, Luis kind of bears witness to what I've experienced, that's, that contemplative prayer, centering prayer, is simple, but it is not easy. It is not easy to stop our day and to sit in the silence and let God do the work in us. But I was moved when Luis invited me and spoke about how much this prayer means to him. And it's good for me to see some of you who were participating in this yesterday and the other times that I've been here. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent, as again your order of service says. About five weeks ago, many of us were either here or in another place, having ashes imposed on our foreheads and hearing the words, remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's a very counterintuitive experience because there's nothing that we would rather think about than our own deaths. Indeed, we can't hold our own deaths into consciousness very long. And yet I've been amazed in my better than 40 years of priesthood now at persons who come on Ash Wednesday when they don't come any other time to have ashes imposed on their foreheads and to hear the words, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It is as if we need to be reminded of our mortality, of the fact that all is not well on planet Earth, and that as the collect for last week said, in the areas of our lives that mean to most of us, in fact, we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves. We need God's help. And today, we not only look back at Ash Wednesday, we look ahead to next Sunday and Palm Sunday, which is also, the, we call it Passion Sunday, it's the beginning of Holy Week. And we know that at the beginning of that week, we end up at Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, what the church calls the Triduum, the, uh, where we celebrate the Paschal mystery, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The liturgy reminds us that we're on a journey, not only from our physical births to our deaths, but to our baptisms into Christ Jesus through what the tradition describes as the loneliness of exile through this land, the wilderness wandering into the promised land, which in the end is heaven, transcendent reality with our God. Our life in Christ is about death and resurrection, Christ's death and resurrection, and our deaths and resurrections in him.
Today and for the past two Sundays, the church invites us to ponder lengthy gospels from the Gospel of John. If you haven't noticed anything else in the liturgy in the past couple of weeks, you've noticed that the gospels have been pretty long, you know. Two weeks ago, it was the woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus who asked Jesus for, uh, for water, and Jesus offered her living water. Last week, it was the story of the man born blind, and Jesus restoring his sight and his coming to faith, and our hearing that Jesus is the light of the world. Today is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And in John's gospel, this event is the trigger that leads to Jesus' own arrest and crucifixion and finally to his resurrection. We're beginning to enter the great mystery, what the church calls the Paschal mystery. As with Ash Wednesday, the liturgy today, the hymns, the lessons, everything invites us to contemplate death. Our deaths, the death of all we love, Lazarus's death, Jesus' death and resurrection. The older I get, the more it seems to me that we are all always grieving. We move from bonding with one person or another to losing that person or leaving that person or having that person leave us, or people whom we love who die. Presently, my wife Peggy and I are in deep grief. Our son, who uh, died, uh, who was 37 years old, his name was Reed, died on December 31st of this year after celebrating Christmas with us. Um, Reed was quadriplegic. He, he had an accident in our home 19 years ago, and any of you who know anything about quadriplegics know that they uh, have a precarious health, and Reed had been in the hospital near death uh, many times, and we had assumed, quite falsely, that he would make it through this one, and he didn't. Uh, it should, have, should not have surprised us, but you know, even with an extended in illness around cancer or something like that, when you know the end can't be far away, we're always surprised and shocked when somebody we love dies. On January the 14th, we celebrated the burial office, which began with familiar words from today's gospel. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. The one that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. For this past three months, those words have been ringing in my ears and in my heart. I'm a born and raised Episcopalian, so I've heard them many, many times. I've been a priest of the church for over 40 years. I've said them many times over many different people in many different kinds of relationships. But in the past three months, I've been thinking about them in a different kind of way. It's not the first time I've thought about death and resurrection, of course, but it's different. Many times in the Gospel of John, we hear that the one who believes in Jesus has already passed from death to life. If you are as I am, you've heard that kind of thing. It's, it's kind of what people call cognitive dissonance. You know, it really doesn't work because we know that everybody we've ever seen and ever known enters into 
death. A believer or an unbeliever, all of us go into biological death. But we're obviously called to stop here and think about what these words about death might mean. To me, it seems that this gospel asks us to redefine death and life. Life is not just biological life, but it's what the lesson from Romans really refers to as spiritual life, and it contrasts it with life in the flesh, which Paul, by, Paul means by that life without reference to God. To put the mind on the flesh, he says, is death. So death is not just biological death, but spiritual death. Death out of relationship with God, the no-thingness of not knowing God. From this perspective, life and death are about our relationship with God. And the best synonym for the word belief is trust. Do we trust God? Do we put our weight down upon God? Do we find God trustworthy? Are we willing to consent to God's presence and action in our lives, especially when life does not work out like we want it to work out, the way we think it ought to work out, the way some way or other we think God might have promised that it would work out? To the extent that the answer is yes, we put our weight down upon God, the scripture is saying, we have already passed from death to life. We may go through biological death, but it is what Paul says in another place, a slight momentary affliction, which is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all measure, for we've already been raised from death to life. Obviously, the next question is, how do we participate in this reality? And the church's basic answer is what we're doing here today, being baptized into Christ Jesus, but celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection in each and every Eucharist, each and every Sunday. Each and every Sunday, in a way, is a little Easter. You will, uh, you will hear us uh, participate in Maundy Thursday again, and we remember Maundy Thursday in light of Good Friday and Easter again. Jesus being raised from the dead. We take Jesus' body and Jesus' blood into ourselves and we're changed, transformed, made new from one degree of glory to another, as St. Paul says. This probably won't surprise some of you because why I'm here is to teach contemplative prayer, centering prayer. If you want to take another step on this journey that is congruent with our participation and receiving the Eucharist, you might go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's our gospel for Ash Wednesday. Contrast going into your inner room to standing on the street corners and being seen to pray. The reward for going into your inner room and praying to your Abba is intimacy with God. That's the reward. It's knowing and being known by God and having the relationship deepened. It's knowing that one is loved. As some of you know, the leader of the Centering Prayer Movement is a guy named Thomas Keating. He's 94 years old now, lives in a monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. Thomas is a Cistercian monk. Thomas Merton was a Cistercian monk. 
and pre-Vatican II Roman Catholicism, Cistercians were particularly noted for their rigorous life. They slept in the same vestment that they wore throughout the day. They slept on straw mats. They talked to two people, the abbot and their spiritual directors. Um, it was a hard, hard life. All that changed with Vatican II. And Thomas Keating was the abbot of the largest Cistercian monastery in this country, St. Joseph's Ab uh, Monastery in Spencer, Massachusetts, from 1961 to 1981. And from 1962 to 1965, the most significant religious event, public religious event in the 20th century took place. That was the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church. Everything changed, not everything, but for participating Roman Catholics it changed. You must, some of you have been through that, that the Eucharist moved from being in Latin to being in the vernacular or in English in this country. And, Monks who were in monasteries were encouraged to enter into conversation with the monks of other contemplative orders in other world religions. Um, and this is what Thomas did, is he led that shift in the monastery. And as a matter of fact, for his pains in doing such a good job, he uh, was offered to resign because many of the monks had signed on for something else and they didn't. He got a vote of no confidence. And so Thomas then went out and began to teach centering prayer, which he and two other monks had developed during his time as abbot. The other thing that he had done while he was abbot was to invite Buddhist monks into the monastery to lead retreats. They called them shishins. Um, uh, the Buddhist monk would come in and keep silence and invite members of the monastic community to come in for a conference or a session in which they would be given a koan. Now, a koan is a paradoxical sentence which is intended to break open one's consciousness at the level it is now and bring on enlightenment or satori. Uh, some of those, uh, a couple of examples of koans that many of us have heard is contemplating, contemplate the sound of one hand clapping or Contemplate your parents' original face before you were born. Think about it. On the first such retreat at St. Joseph's, uh, uh, a monk of the monastery came in to uh, the Buddhist monk who was offering the retreat, and he came in to have the conference and to receive the koan. And he came in, and the monk had two copies of the New Testament, one in English and one in Japanese. And he said, I like your Christianity said, but I don't think I would like your Christianity without the resurrection. Here is your koan. Show me your resurrection. Well, the monk left, appropriately befuddled. Show me your resurrection. That might be a good koan for us on this fifth Sunday of the Lenten season as we focus on Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, as we focus on our own deaths and on the deaths of all that we love and hold dear both now or in anticipation, contemplating that koan entering more deeply on what it might mean for us to manifest the resurrection in our own lives might help us to trust God more deeply, to enter more deeply into the love that God 
has for us, into which we were baptized when we were buried with Christ in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. And if you want to take that step in another way, you might begin to practice centering prayer or contemplation. Luis is going to offer you an opportunity to sign up for the continuing sessions which are to come. Your salvation does not depend on your doing centering prayer or contemplation. You're already God's beloved. God is well pleased with you. That's what happened in your baptism. But it may be that if we take up such a prayer and enter more deeply into the love that God has for us, which enhances our trust for God, we will begin to hear the risen Lord Jesus say to us what he said to Lazarus, unbind him and let him go. And then we might show forth in the world our resurrection.